Turn with me, if you would please, in your Bibles to the book of Jonah. Now, Jonah's a funny little book to find. It's tucked away in the back of the, of the Old Testament. Uh, if you find Amos, uh, then you'll find Obadiah. There's just one chapter. And then you'll find the book of Jonah. If you end up at Micah, you've gone too far. So, Jonah. And we're going to read Jonah chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. In fact, that's chapter 2. So, we'll read the whole thing. And please listen for the Word of God. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and He answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the, the deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you in your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto the dry land. Amen. And we give thanks to God for this reading from His holy word. To God be all praise and all glory, now and forevermore. Amen. I've been taking a, a wee journey this week down memory lane, just, just in my own mind. It's been, it's been quite pleasant, actually, as I've, as I've thought about some people and places and events that I haven't, that I haven't brought to the front of my mind and, and dwelled on for, for quite some time. As I journeyed down memory lane this week, I, I remember the last time I saw my grandfather, my mother's father. We called him, we called him Papa. His name was Bobby Deans. He was a good man, a man who was, was almost like a father to me rather than a grandfather. He and I had always been very, very close. He would, every Friday night, cycle to, to our house. Often he would be there when my sister and I got back from school. He would bring a comic book for me and for my sister. We would spend the evening together, then he'd cycle back home to be with with my grand. Now, when I say cycle, I don't want you to imagine Bobby Dean's in spandex. That would be so wrong on so many different levels. No, he was a man who always wore a, a shirt and tie. He wore a sports coat and dressy pants, the legs of which he would secure with, with cycle clips so that his pant legs wouldn't get caught up in the chains of his bike. He was never without his flat cap or bunnet as we called it in Scotland. He was part of a generation of Scots who uh, always 
had to be well-dressed. In his younger days, he was a painter by trade, and he always wore a shirt and tie and dressy pants underneath his overalls. He was a very sartorial man. As he got older, and as my gran became sicker, when I was in high school, I would walk the mile from school to his house. I would work with him to tend his yard. We would grow vegetables together. And then once we had worked, we would go into the kitchen and cook sausages, chips, and fried mushrooms for dinner every Friday without fail. When I came to the U.S. in 96, it was hardest to say goodbye to him. He was starting to fail by that time. He was, he was 89 years old. And I wondered if that was the last time I'd ever see him. But I did see him again. I was able to, to come home the following summer for a few weeks and celebrate his 90th birthday with him in his church hall. I thought that would be the last time I would see him, but he was a whole lot more resilient than that. During that time, he had a couple of major strokes and he ended up in a nursing home. He became very confused and he wasn't able to talk very much at all. He would say some things and wanted to say so much more, but he just didn't have any words left in him. I heard about all of this secondhand through phone calls and conversations with my mother and other family members. And then in December of 99, we went home for the millennium. And the very first thing I did was go to see my papa. I mean, straight off the plane, we drove to my mum's and I walked up the hill, the two or three blocks to the nursing home to see Bobby Deans. When I got there, I, I told the nurse who I was and she sent me into the lounge, into the sitting room where many of the residents were. And I looked around and I spotted him straight away. He was small and much frailer than I remembered, with a, but still with a shock of, of snow white hair. He was sitting hunched over in his chair, folding his white cotton handkerchief again and again. It was something that he had always done for years. He always had a clean pressed cotton handkerchief in his pocket and he was the one who had always pressed and folded those handkerchiefs himself. And there he sat in his chair, somehow remembering days gone by as he folded his hanky. I knelt down in front of him and, and he glanced up to see who it was. And then in this flash of recognition, tears welled up in his eyes as they did in my own. Oh my, he said. Oh my. Oh my. I felt like I'd given him a gift. But more than that, I felt a grace from this lovely old man. He knew me. He loved me. Oh my. I saw him a few more times during that trip, but that's the, the one time that I remember. We came back to the States a week or so later, and I got word not long after that that he had died. I wasn't able to go to his funeral, but he had given me the gift of that last memory. And whenever I think of Bobby Deans, 
That's how I remember him. That's how I remember my papa. He loved me. He knew me. He remembered me. As I continued further down memory lane, I remembered one of the old ladies who was in a, a nursing home in Fayetteville, North Carolina. She'd been in, in, in that particular home for many years, and I, I hadn't known her before that. But in her younger years, she'd been a very vibrant, active woman. She'd played a significant role in the life of, of the church. She'd been a nurse. But at the time that I knew her, her body had suffered the effects of, of age, and her mind had been ravaged by Alzheimer's. She spent her days sitting in the hallway of the nursing home, almost always in the same spot, mostly asleep, but occasionally lashing out at those who passed by. And if you were lucky enough, you'd end up getting an earful of profanity while she was at it. I went to see her about once a month. Sometimes she would let me take her hand. Other times she would simply tell me to go away using somewhat more colorful and inappropriate phrases. I would most often just spend a few minutes with her, tell her who I was, tell her where I had come from, tell her there were people at the church who were thinking about her and that she was, she was loved and fondly remembered. I would mention the names of some of the, the other older members of the church whom she had known, but there was never any recognition. One day, I was there. She was particularly uncommunicative. She didn't look up at me at all. She didn't cuss me out. She simply let me take her hand, and she wouldn't or, or couldn't respond to anything that I said. I stopped talking for a good few minutes, gently holding her, her frail hand, and then as, as I looked at her, I, I began to sing. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And then very, very, very quietly, almost imperceptibly, as I was singing, I heard her begin to hum along with me. She never looked at me. Her affect never changed, but she started to sing. I sang another song to her that I thought she might know. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. And she hummed right along with me. It was something I'd never experienced before, and I haven't experienced since. It was a moment of real grace. In the presence of that frail, failing lady, I encountered the face and the voice of God. She was at the end of her life. There was nothing left of the strong young woman that she had once been. But after life and age and illness had, had stripped away everything that she once was, one deep, unshakable memory still remained. More than a memory, a present reality. The very presence of God was still a powerful and instinctive reality for her. When her life was at its lowest ebb, she remembered the Lord. As I continued down memory lane, it occurred to me that there were, 
There were some memories that I wish I had, but for whatever reason, I just can't remember. My dad died when I was a, a very small boy, and, and, and I have flashes of memories, moments here and there, but really, really I don't remember him. I remember what I've been told about him for the most part, I think. I know him through, through stories I've heard about him. I know him through tapes that he had made over the years. I know him through, through photos and, and images and ideals that I've imagined. I wish I could have known him so I could remember him, really remember him with, with the life and with the vibrancy that comes from a, from a relationship. But I was just too young for, for that to stay in my head. I, I suppose I can say it's in my heart. It's just not in my head. And then it occurred to me as well that um, there are some memories that, you just, that I just don't have that others assume I ought to have or have. I can't tell you the number of times when I'm on the phone talking to my mom in particular when she'll be telling me a story about someone that she knows well, and, and she'll always preface the story by saying, now, Ian, you remember when we went to such and such a place and we saw so-and-so, such and such a person. Invariably, I respond, no, mom, I, I, I don't remember that. I don't know who you're talking about. Yes, you do. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I don't. You do. You do remember them. He was, he was so-and-so's nephew and he married such and such a person and he was three years behind you at school. He was in a different school, but he was three years behind you at school. Mom, I have no idea who you're talking about. Of course you do. Anyway, I met them in the shops last week, and they were asking after you. Memory's a funny sort of a thing. It's funny and strange, the things that you remember. There are some things that you look back on, and you can remember the moment as if it just happened. The memory's so, so clear. It's so vibrant. It's so alive. Now, that can be good. It can also be bad. I know that there are, there are things that are deeply embedded in your minds that you have done or things that have been done to you that you wish you could just, just scrub things out and rid yourself of these memories. Out, damn spot. But even an ocean can't rid you of these memories. It seems to me, based on purely anecdotal evidence with no scientific backing or study on my part whatsoever, that the more intense an experience and the more significant a relationship, then that's what you're going to remember. That works culturally for us as well, doesn't it? For every generation, there's, there seems to be almost a defining moment that every single person remembers. They can tell you where they were at the moment something happened. Many, many of us were personally affected by the events of September 11th, 2001. The whole world remembers that day. For, for good or for ill, it was and is a defining moment. The previous generation remembers November 22nd, 1963. 
The generation before that remembers December 7th, 1941, and June 6th, 1944, as days that forever changed the world. And if you're not familiar with what happened on any of those dates, look them up. Every one of them marks a moment in time when, when everything changed with an overwhelming intensity and will remain etched into our, into our cultural memories. But those who were there, who experienced the events of those particular moments as they happened, they remain a living and, and present reality that affects them not just culturally, but at the deepest personal and intimate level. The intensity of the moment, the significance of those relationships etches memories with deep, deep grooves into the mind so that those moments and those relationships become transformative. They change a person's life forever, and they live day by day in the knowledge that they are changed forever. Now, that doesn't mean that the events are constantly before them every waking and every sleeping moment. No, Sometimes life pushes them to the side, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. For the weight of some memories is too much to constantly bear. But there are moments when memories cease to be memories, but they become present realities all over again and they transform us again, and they strengthen us again, and they give life to us, new life to us again. In general terms, when we, when we think of, of memories and remembrances, we, we tend to think in terms simply of past events brought back to our minds. Stories told, that they're not happening now, but they happened a, a long time ago and had impact then, and they maybe changed us then, but now, but now there are stories that we tell that we can remember. In the ancient world, the memory wasn't just a story. It was the bringing to mind of a past event or past relationship, yes, but it was brought to mind in such a way that the one telling and the one hearing become participants in the original story. And what happened to the people in the original story are still happening to them and to you and to me. Still today, during the celebration of Passover, when the story of of the Exodus is told, the teller says, we, we were slaves in Egypt. Not they were slaves in Egypt. We were slaves in Egypt. We were brought out by God's mighty hand. More than 3,000 Years later, the events that happened then have a transforming effect on people today, even as the story is told and retold from generation to generation. That moment happened then, but it is happening in each subsequent telling of the story and happens at every instant in time. God's people were and are in slavery, and He alone, by His mighty hand, brings them out of captivity into the glorious freedom and liberty of His Son. Jesus told the disciples when they were gathered together to celebrate the new Passover meal that He was instituting, the meal that we variously call communion 
the Lord's Supper, Eucharist, and so on, he told them that they were to remember him. What a powerful injunction that was, and, and what a powerful injunction it remains. Whenever you do this, remember me. I just bring it back to mind. But know that who he was and what he did are not simply events for the past to be meditated upon, but that they remain a present reality in every moment for all those who remember, and, and even for those for whom that memory eludes them. For Christ didn't simply come to save his own people. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, for God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. Now, we know these verses very, very well, but I wonder if we don't think they actually mean, for God loved my world so much. No, God loved the world and loves the world still and calls all to remember what he has done in his Son. Now, one of the things about memory is that you can only remember what you know. Now, this is an interesting fact. In a brief report in the, the magazine Christian Century, it was reported that cognitive scientists are finding more and more that human beings are hardwired to believe in God. A scientist called Graham Lawton, who, who himself is an atheist, has been quoted as saying that atheism is psychologically impossible because of the way that humans think. The teacher in Ecclesiastes writes, eternity is set in the hearts of men and women. We're born to know God. We have a pre-existing relationship with Him that we just can't fully grasp or even remember. And we need to be reminded. And we need to remind others. And we need to remind all for they too are known by God and loved by God. Jonah knew the Lord and was known by the Lord, and he remembered the Lord at his lowest ebb. And as he remembered, and as he brought to mind who the Lord was and all that the Lord had done for and through His people. That memory ceased to simply be a memory, but it became a living and a present reality. And He knew life. New life. May you too remember, not just at your lowest ebb, but in every moment, that God knows you. He loves you. He remembers you. Remember Him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.